Hey, good morning, everybody. Thank you. I can't believe it's the second week in a row for braving the weather and being here. You guys are the brave ones, or maybe we're all the foolish ones who don't care and just drive anyway, right? But I'm glad you're here. Wow, <laughs> that hurt. I'm four days into P90X, and I'm finding muscles I didn't even know existed, but I do now because I know they hurt. Hey, I want you to um, do a little heavy lifting with me. Take your worship folder, would you? It's not that heavy. Open it up. Top left corner, there's an invitation to dinner. You may have got one of these in the mail, and if you did not get an invitation in the mail, this in the upper right corner of your worship folder is your invitation to dinner. I want to talk about the next two years in our church's life with you. And so it's important enough that we said, let's go somewhere, have dinner where you're undistracted. We can talk about the things that are coming. We're a new church. Some new things are unfolding as we become an independent congregation. And I want to talk to you about where I think the Lord wants us to be so that two years from today or two years this next spring, we can say, look where we are now because we decided back here that we were going to fulfill our purpose as a church before the Lord. And so I want to lay those steps out and challenge you. So the thing I want to ask you to do is RSVP and say, I'm going to be there. If you just, for whatever reason, can't be there, please go to the website anyway and RSVP and say, I can't be there. Uh, if you say, well, I didn't get an invitation, here's your invitation. You got it today. So there you go. And I want you to be a part of that. So uh, check that out. If you got your worship folder out, go ahead and keep it out. You can take notes and follow along with the message uh, in that. On February 24th, 1989, United Airlines Flight 811 took off from Honolulu, and they were going to fly to New Zealand. 16 minutes into the flight, they had reached an altitude of 22,000 feet when there was this loud grinding noise and a thump that shook the entire plane. The pilot said to the co-pilot, please go see what that was. He walked out. He came back in. His face was white. The forward cargo door on the underside of the plane had torn loose. It had pulled nine passengers out to their death. Another flight attendant had been hanging onto one of the seats, and they managed to pull her back in. The pilot, a man named uh, David Cronin, was about to need every bit of his wisdom and experience and training as a pilot to help the rest of the people survive. What had happened when the cargo door tore loose, it tore part of the fuselage away. It, it damaged two of the engines on the right side, so those were just gone. He immediately did two things. He said, number one, he took a U-turn, a 180-degree turn, and headed immediately back toward Honolulu. At this point, though, they were 100 miles out over the ocean. He also took them into an emergency descent because when the fuselage tore away, it also tore away the emergency oxygen. So he needed to get the plane down to a breathable altitude if he was going to save everybody. They had another problem, though. The problems just kept coming. His biggest issue was that with part of the fuselage gone, the rest of his crew determined they had to fly at a pace of 250 knots an hour. The stall speed on their airplane is 240 knots an hour. Like, if you go below that, you're going down. So they have this very small margin of error to fly within. If they go any faster, it's going to tear the rest of the fuselage away, and they'll go down anyway. But the hits kept coming. Just as the plane had taken off, they had just fueled up for a long trip to New Zealand. They had 300,000 pounds of fuel. You can't land with that. If you land with that much extra weight, it will, the landing gear will collapse and it'll kill everybody. So they're coming in, and as they're coming in to land, then they found out that the flaps that lift to slow things down as they're landing were not working. So instead of landing at 170 miles an hour like they're supposed to, they're coming in at nearly 200 miles an hour. And they're 50,000 pounds overweight. However... Eyewitnesses, the crew, the passengers all said when they landed back in Honolulu, safe, safe and sound, it was one of the smoothest landings they'd ever felt. They were all safe. Captain David Cronin was a hero. 
In fact, some people, including the investigators who looked into this and saw what happened after it all took place, said it was a miraculous landing. I'll tell you how miraculous. United Airlines ran several simulations losing the front cargo door, and every time they ran somebody through the simulator, no one was successfully able to land the plane after the loss of the forward cargo door. It was miraculous. Somebody interviewed Doc, uh, Captain Cronin, and they said, well, what did you do when it, when it all happened? He said, cool, calm, and collected. He said, well, I prayed for my passengers, and I got back to business. How awesome is that, that every bit of ability and wisdom and training and experience that you've got in your life brings you to this nexus where you are able to use all of that to save 346 crew members and passengers, that everything you're able to do just makes you to say, I just went back to business, business being saving all their lives. How awesome is that? Made me think of somebody else. Remember Sully Sullenberger? Back in 2009, he took off from airport in New York and birds or something took out all of his engines. So basically his plane is now dead in the air. Remember he glided it down and landed on the Hudson River? Didn't lose a single passenger. Katie Couric was interviewing Captain Sullenberger later and it reminds me so much of Captain Cronin. Katie said, well, what were you thinking and what was going on? And, and he's so, Captain Sullenberger's like, I'm not a hero. They said, I feel like I've just done this. For the last 42 years of my life, I've made regular small deposits in the bank of experience and training. And uh, the balance was sufficient that on January 9th, I could make a very large withdrawal all at once. Again, isn't that great to just know that everything that you are has come together to do something so significant? I don't know if these guys are believers or not. But I look at them and I think there's two guys who get it. That, that maybe God put you here for a reason. I like how Pastor Rick Warren says it. He says, you are not here by accident. You were not put on the planet just by mistake. You were created with a purpose. God made you. God formed you. God created you. God designed you for a purpose. You are not here by accident. And, and I have the same thing to tell you this morning. You are not here by accident. There are things that that God wants to do in the world, that he intends to do through you, that he's uniquely designed you to do in the world. And so that's why you're here. Over the last several weeks, we've been asking the question, what does it take to make my soul and my spiritual being thrive? And we've been looking at practices that are within our reach and within our grasp that we can embrace, that will fully expand our spiritual being. And I'm here to tell you today, that you will not truly thrive as a human being until you get a hold of this concept that we were created to serve other people. But when you do get a hold of that, that I am created to serve others, that's when you will find that your soul will thrive. I'll tell you somebody else who got it. I'll give you another example. A man named Albert Schweitzer, Dr. Schweitzer. He and his wife lived back at the beginning of the 20th century. So you picture that time right before World War I. Albert Schweitzer, he's German. He's, uh, he was a, a Christian. He's a Christian theologian, but he was also a medical doctor. And so he came out of med school, and he and his wife were talking about how can we use our lives best to serve God. And so what they determined was we can spread the gospel by healing people, physically healing them. They got the idea that they needed to go to Africa, and so that's what they did. They spent a great deal of time raising money so they could create a clinic over in Africa. They went around, and he did piano concerts, and they did whatever they could. They got enough money. They went over to Africa, I think it was 1913, went to the area that's now known as Gabon in the middle of the jungle, middle of nowhere, and set up this medical clinic in the worst conditions you can imagine. And people came from everywhere out of the jungle. They treated over 2,000 people in the first nine months. And horrible things that we don't even want to think about. Tropical dysentery, malaria, 
tropical eating sores, necrosis, just all these horrible conditions people were suffering with. And they came in and, and they healed them in these uh, just dank, damp, humid, hot conditions because they felt like this is the way we can honor God with our lives. I tell you that because I want to give you a quote, something that Albert Schweitzer once said. I wanted you to, to have a little background about who he is before I tell you what he said. And this quote, it's in your program. We're going to have it up on the screen. I want you to marinate in this for a while. I want this to resonate in your mind about what he said. Here's a guy who knows something about how to thrive. He said this, I don't know what your destiny will be, but one thing I do know, the only ones among you who will be really happy are those of you who have sought and found how to serve. I don't know what your destiny is, but I do know you're only going to be happy when you learn how to serve when you learn the way God has shaped you to serve, that's when you're going to thrive. And I'll tell you from my own experience, there is no greater thrill in life than being in that place where you know what I'm good at is just what somebody needed. To have that sensation that God used me to bless somebody else. Have you ever experienced that? If you have, it is awesome. If you have not yet, let me pray for you that you experience that. Unfortunately, what I find, though, is that a lot of people don't know that and they don't get that. What I've discovered is a lot of people work through life thinking that the key to their happiness is, is right here. Like, I've got to find myself. I'm going to go out and get everything that I think will make me happy. I will accumulate. I will gather. I will do everything I want to do. And when I reach all of these goals that I've set for myself, then I'll be happy. And it doesn't work that way. You will never get happy trying to make yourself happy. The true secret to thriving and the true secret to happiness is found in serving other people. When you serve others, that's when you find the greatest joy. You know who really got that was Jesus. There was one time in Jesus' life, and you can read about this in Mark 10. Jesus came in, and his closest disciples were huddled up, and they got really quiet, I think. I'm just imagining this. They got really quiet when Jesus walked in. He's like, what are you guys talking about? And he knew. He knew what they were talking about, but they didn't want to tell him because they were embarrassed because they had been arguing. You know, like before Jesus walked in, they're like arguing about, no, I'm the best. No, I'm the best. Now, I'm going to be in charge and, you know, Jesus, of course, he's first in charge. But I'll be second in charge, and you all will do what I tell you to do. I'll, no, you're not going to be the boss of me. And Jesus walks into the middle of this argument, and he's like, what are you guys talking about? Um, nothing. Finally, they came clean. They're like, uh, we were arguing about who's the greatest. And Jesus, guys, guys, that's how the Gentiles, that's how the, everybody else in your life, I know they, they think that way. Like, when I get to be the guy in charge, that's when I will really have arrived. But guys, we don't work that way in my kingdom. In the kingdom of heaven, it's not the greatest is the one who gets to be the boss of everybody. The greatest is the greatest servant. And then Jesus gives himself as the ultimate example. And this is in Mark 10, 45. Jesus said, look at me. I didn't even come here to be served by you. I'm God in the flesh. If anybody should be served, it should be me. But I didn't come here to be served. I came to serve you and to give my life as a ransom for many. And what he's teaching us is you've lived your life for thousands and thousands of years. How's that worked out for you all? Seeking yourself does not work. I'm coming here to show you the way it was always designed to be. In my family, you look out for the needs not only of yourself but others, and in so doing, you find true joy. And what we come to find is, you know, as Christians, you know we are followers of Christ and we imitate his example as much as obey his teachings, right? What we find when we start to follow Jesus is that, man, God created me to serve other people. God even has gifted me so that I can serve other people. And... Even more explicitly, God has commanded me to serve other people. I'll give you one great example of that in the Bible is in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. It's up on the screen. You can look it up in your Bible. In fact, let me pull it up in my Bible here. Ephesians 
know what it says here? It says, we are God's workmanship. God really put some effort into you. He's put some work and some thought into you. He's proud of who you are as he made you because you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do what? I want you to say it with me. We are created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he has prepared in advance for us to do. Now there's a thought that ought to give you goosebumps. When God created you and he knew a time when you would be born, he knew when you would live, And he has some things that he has in mind for you to do in the world. And if you don't do them, it's not getting done. Because you're the one that he created to do these things. And so if we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, that tells me I'm commanded, I'm gifted, I am created to serve other people. There's things that God wants to have happen in the world. And there's things in our lifetime that it's our generation, it's our time, it's our turn to do these things. In this church, as we connect people to God and each other, it's my time to do this for what the Lord has put me here to do. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever had that sense that I am doing what the Lord has put me here to do? Have you ever had a moment where you just know I am serving this person and I'm serving with no strings attached? I'm not looking for anything back from them. Guys, those of you who are married, guys, have you ever done anything for your wife without any expectation of receiving anything in return? It's a good time to shake your head, yeah. I hope you have. Give you an example. Guys, have you ever like got up in the middle of the night with one of your kids who's crying or whatever, and then the next morning you don't tell your wife about it? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> but if that ever happened, that's what I'm talking about, serving others with, with, with love and with, with just a pure heart. I love how Donald Miller, the author, puts it, and he describes it in this analogy. It's really stuck with me because I just love his, this picture. Uh, he said, it's like God has given you this big piece of butcher paper, white butcher paper, it's blank, And he puts a big box of crayons in front of you and says, this is your life, the crayons. Make something beautiful. And, you know, people who really get it to realize I'm not here for myself, they're like, give me those crayons. I'm going to take the red one, I need the brown and the green one, I'm going to eat the purple one, and I'm going to make some beautiful pictures. Give me another piece of butcher paper because i got things that God has put me here to do. Is that the sense that you wake up with every morning that God has things that he wants me to do? I need to figure out what it is because I've been gifted, I've been created, and I've been commanded to serve others with what God has given me and how he's made me. I love what it says in 1 Peter 4.10. Again, this is in your worship folder. If you've got a pen, I would like you to get that out because it says in 1 Peter 4, each one of you have been blessed with one of God's many wonderful gifts to be used in the service of others. And I want you to underline that, in the service of others, or at least bold it in your mind and emphasize it, God's given us gifts to be used in the service of others, so use your gift well. If, for example, you have the gift of speaking, preach God's message. If you have the gift of helping others, do it with the the strength that God supplies. Use your gift to serve other people. I don't. I guess it's been five years ago. I don't know. I gave Kirsten a gift for Christmas that that I love. She loves it. Uh, she wanted a KitchenAid mixer, the big ones, you know, like the find in a restaurant. So got a pink KitchenAid mixer. It was a gift for me to Kirsten because I love her. However, the gift that I gave Kirsten has been a huge blessing to me. This is why I need P90X, I guess. And to my family and to many of you too because she's taken this mixer, this gift I gave her, but she used it to create cookies and bread and cake and muffins and rolls and all, all these good things that we get to enjoy. Kirsten's using her gift to serve other people. Not a stretch here at all for you to think about that's what God is doing with you. He's given you a gift, and sure, you get to enjoy it. It's your gift, but it's a gift that you've been given to serve other people, not just yourself. When we use our gifts to serve other people, what happens? 
tell you what I've seen. The churches that are healthiest, in one part, have figured this out. That it's not just the job of the guy who stands down here and talks on Sunday morning to do everything, but that we all together as a church have been given gifts, and it's our job to unwrap them and figure out what it is that I'm supposed to bring to the potluck of my church family. Our church accomplishes its purpose to connect people to God and each other in this world. We make the world a better place. We bring people closer to God when we all exercise those gifts that God's given us. It says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 7. It says, Now to each the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. If you've got like minimal background in church or kind of new to the Bible, you might be going, the manifestation of the Spirit. Isn't that like ghost hunters? What are you talking about here? Manifestation of the Spirit, we're talking about the Holy Spirit who lives inside each one of us who are Christians and the manifestation of his work in our life is two things, really. One, when the Holy Spirit of God is in you, it develops godly character like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. But the other thing that the Holy Spirit does within each Christian is he gives you an ability so that you can serve the church. That's a manifestation of the Spirit at work in you. It may be that the Holy Spirit takes something you're already good at, a talent you've had since you were little, and he turns it up. It may be that when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit gives you an entirely new ability that you never had before you were a Christian. And he says, I've given you this ability so that you can make your church a stronger place, so you can reach out to people. And so the manifestation of the Spirit is given for what? For me? It's given for the common good. And so we use it. And I have to say this, um, just to get personal with you, I am very thankful for all of you, and I'm thankful for the people who aren't here today that probably ought to hear this too. Because so many of you do use your gift for the common good. My girls are 16 and 11 now, and they have been well taught about Jesus their entire life in this church. Because some of you have used your gift of teaching and helping in children's classes and, and just all of the encouraging things that you've said to my daughters over the years. And our kids love Jesus and love church because those of you who work in children's ministry are using your giftedness. I love it that so many of you work in Connection Cafe and greeting because you are making our church family a warm, welcoming place where we're saying to people, come in. You can belong here. You're accepted here. We like you. And so we put our extroverts out in the lead and we say, go make people happy to be here. Get them in here and talk to them. Don't be too pushy. But, and I love all of you who've done that. So we've brought friends to church before and you've made them feel welcome. Thank you for using your gifts. I have to caution myself here because, you know, part of my role as a leader in church, I have to be thinking, well, what's next? What's next? What are we supposed to do now? Okay, we accomplished that. Check. What? Just to stop sometimes and look back and go, okay, I know we need to go there, but what has God done? And so hear me, and I speak for Brian and Lisa and every other leader in this church and every person. I'll just say it for you. Thank you for using your gifts to make this church the place that it is. We would not be here today if you didn't do that. And I say this in complete sincerity. If we're going to live out our purpose, the bottom line is, as a church, we've got to even go further with this idea that all of us have a role to play in the church and we need to fulfill it. Two things I want to close out with for the next, I don't know, five or ten minutes here. I want to make this really practical to you. I don't want to just challenge you and then not give you any way to exercise this. It's two ways that you can take this and really thrive. And the first one would be, if you're not already doing this or you haven't done this, find your ministry design or find your ministry sweet spot that place where you can serve the Lord well. Now, I've talked to enough people to know that a lot of people get really antsy and worried about the idea of ministry. You start talking about ministry or serving, and they're like, in their mind, it's almost like default. They think, okay, ministry equals doing something that's kind of awkward to me, uncomfortable, I'm not really sure that I'm good at it. 
That couldn't be further from the truth. God would not give you talents and abilities and a distinct design and then make you do something entirely outside of that to serve him. There are exceptions to that. I mean, Moses is like, I can't speak. And God said, you want, you want me to speak for you? Those are the exceptions to prove the rule. Generally speaking, God has gifted you in such a way that he wants you to use the things that you're already good at. Put it this way, what God made me to be determines what he has intended for me to do. Generally speaking. And so your ministry sweet spot is like that. It's like you're already doing the things you're good at and you're in the flow and you feel like competent. Maybe it's something that you have to work on and develop, but you feel pretty good at it. You're like, I have a sense that when I do this, it's successful. That's your ministry design. That's your sweet spot. And, and you think about ministry this way. When you take what you're good at and what you're capable of doing and you match that up with what somebody needs and what you're good at is what they need, that plus that equals ministry. It's not like, okay, I'm an introvert and I think I want to throw up when I get in front of people, but I guess God wants me to preach. Probably not going to do that to you. And if he does, he's going to give you the strength and ability to do it. He's probably going to take what you already are good at and say, I've got people who need what you're good at. Do that. That's your sweet spot in ministry. For some of you, it's like you are in the zone when you're teaching the three-year-olds. I don't get that. But God bless you that some of you do because we need you. And you like you know how to take three-year-olds and you know how to make them feel comfortable. And you know if they're a little upset, you know how to make them feel good about church. And you know how to teach them about Jesus at a three-year-old level. For me, my sweet spot, and I, don't, I just found this accidentally back when I was 18 years old. I love middle school kids. I think that's a spiritual gift because people don't naturally love middle school kids. And if you're a middle schooler in here, please don't take offense. I love, but sometimes you're hard to be around. But I, I really, for all my whole life, I've just loved middle school kids. I was at a week of fourth and fifth grade camp, and it was the worst week of my life. Put me in a, a group of junior high kids, though, I'm in heaven. I just love their energy and their rambunctiousness, their openness to do anything. They're not too cool for life yet, like the high schoolers are. Just, I, one lady, I was at a youth conference, and she was talking about, we were all there together, thousands of students and sponsors, and we're like, she's saying, yeah. The last week, I was telling my work group I wasn't going to be there. I went up and I put on the board I was going to be out on vacation. And somebody said, hey, where are you going? I said, well, I'm taking a busload full of middle school kids to this conference. It's going to be awesome. And my boss just kind of looked like this, and she went over to the dry erase board, and she erased vacation, and she wrote sick. <laughs> but that's what happens when you're in your ministry sweet spot. When you are doing what you're designed to do, you just know this is what God made me to do, and I'm good at it, and I love it. So whatever it is God has made you to do, do that. My challenge is to use find your ministry sweet spot. Find your design. If you don't know what it is, I've given you a little acrostic in your bulletin. This is not mine. This is from Wayne Cordero. He wrote a great book called Doing Church as a Team. Design stands for this. Just write this down. You can do this later. The D stands for desire. What do I enjoy doing? Just write down some of the things you enjoy doing. What, what is it that, like your hobbies or things you spend time, things that you do and hours go by and you don't really notice that the hours have gone by? It's your desire. The E stands for experience. What do you have experience at? What have you been maybe uh, trained to do at work? So you've got a skill set there. Or maybe it's something that's happened in your life, and yes, it was painful, but you learned something through it, so now you got through it, you can take the comfort that God gave to you in that painful time in your life, and now you can take that comfort and give it to somebody else and say, hey, I've been there. I understand what you're going through because I went through it too, and here's some things you can watch for. And so your experiences, this is one of the reasons why I want us to leverage our experience with cancer in this church to help other people. We've had a lot of experience with cancer here, prayed for a lot of people. Why don't we take that and use that as a springboard into ministry? 
So the E stands for experience. The S stands for spiritual gifts. Again, I've already talked about that. It's when the Holy Spirit gives you an ability that you didn't have before or amps up an ability you had. And I uh, don't want to really go further into this, but just to tell you, if you want to study this out further in your Bible, you can look up 1 Corinthians 12 or Ephesians 4 or Romans 12 and start to look at what some of the spiritual gifts might be and maybe think about and pray about what is my spiritual gift. Um, the I stands for your individual style or your personality. Just write down, am I an introvert? Am I an extrovert? Do I love being with people or feel drained when I'm with people? Do I enjoy working by myself? Am I uh, an organized person? Am I in my zone when I'm fixing things? Am I in my zone when people are bringing me problems that I can solve? What's your personality? Am I just high energy or am I low energy? There's no wrong personality type. You just have to find the right spot to serve based on your personality type. The G stands for growth phase. What stage of life are you in? Are you a teenager and you've got lots of energy and ideas and enthusiasm and, and maybe not a lot of time, but you've got a willingness? Or maybe you're you know, a young adult and you've got maybe little kids or you're getting into that stage of life. Or you're empty nester and you've got lots of time or lots of you know, ideas and wisdom that you can share. What stage of life are you in? Write that down. And then the natural abilities. What are you good at? What are some of those talents? Even if you don't, you think like, well, God could never use this talent, just write it down. Because when you look at your design and you pray through this, I think that the Lord is going to start showing you things where what you're good at matches up with somebody's need or a need that our church has, and that equals ministry. So here, here's the last challenge I want to give you. So find your design and then get in the game. Don't ride the bench. Don't just sit back and let other people do the serving. You were made to serve, you're commanded to serve, you're gifted to serve, so serve. What I've seen, though, is one of the reasons people don't serve more, and, and we're asking you to, we, come on, please serve, we're inviting you to, but what would keep somebody from doing that? I think people get distracted. Honestly, I think some people are very focused on living them li their lives for themselves, and uh, I'm not picking on anyone, and I'm so please don't take this personally, but generally speaking, I've watched my parents' generation, again, not anybody in particular, but the baby boomer generation has been very self-centered, and they've pursued themselves. And yeah, you can talk about my generation. Gen X has done their thing too. But if the goal of your life is only to retire early and be rich, and God didn't make you to retire early. Fine, if you retire early and, and you're wealthy, that's, I don't have, God didn't have a problem with that. But if that's the pursuit of your life and that's the ultimate goal and that's what you think is going to make you happy, it's not. It's not. Don't get distracted by something much less than what God has called you to do. I think other people get distracted because of insecurity. And they're like, I know the Bible says that I should be doing works of service, but I just don't really think that I'm good at anything. And insecurity creeps in and says, I know the Bible says that I've been gifted, but I, just, I think I'm the exception that proves the rule. I'm not good. There's nothing that I can do to serve the church. However, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 really contradicts that. It says that the Spirit has given each of us a special way of serving others. And so I don't see any asterisk that says, yeah, except for Brian. The Spirit's given each one of us a way we can serve. And so seek it out and don't be insecure and say, well, there's nothing that I have to offer because you do. Every single one of us are important. It's not a misprint in your Bible. Every one of us needs to serve. Be assured of this. None of us show up to our church empty-handed. God has brought us all here for a reason. If you're here and you're part of this fellowship, it's because you have something to offer as much as you have something to receive. So express that. I know my role in this church. My role here is to lead out, to point the way to the future, to paint a picture of a preferred future that we want to work toward. My job is to teach and to encourage. I get that. 
And so I need to exercise that gifting in the church. I'm not the leader here because I'm the smartest person in the room, because I'm not. I'm not the leader here because I'm the best, the most gifted person in the room. I'm not. I, I'm, as much as anything, I'm the leader because, as Andy Stanley said, I got here first. Dibs, I'm the leader. But that's my role in the church, so I need to exercise that. You have a role in this church. You may be smarter than me and more gifted than me. Use that gift. Let's make this church a great place together. I'll tell it, tell it to you this way. If I don't fulfill the ministry that God's given me within this church, you get cheated. And so it's very important that I fulfill my ministry. But the converse of that is true, too. When you don't fulfill the ministry God gave you, I get cheated. My family gets cheated. Our church family gets cheated. This is not a church that will succeed and function and accomplish our purpose if, if I do all of it. That's unhealthy. It's not the way God designed it. God has designed the church so that all of us are the ministers. We're all the servants. We're all the ones who do the work of ministry. God's prepared you to do something. So get in the game and do it. I'm done talking. Let me give you one more thing that I want you to do. After the service is over, we have ministry tables set up so you can see the ministries we currently have. You can talk to the ministry leaders. If you're not serving anywhere in this church, go sign up for one. Here's even another thing I would tell you. Don't be afraid that you might sign up for the wrong one. Sometimes there's things you do because we need you to do it. It may not be, but it's easier to steer the car once it's moving. Just try something. If it's not the right thing, we can move to something else, but at least do something. Get some motion going. Try to sign up for something and try it. If it doesn't work, we won't lock you in for the rest of your life. We'll, we'll tell you, you're not really good at this. Let's find something else for you to do. But don't buzz out of here. Take a little bit of time. We got the theater till noon. Stop and talk and find out what the ministry does. And here's another thing. You may find that what you're good at is not represented at any of those tables. And what that tells me is we're a new church. It may be that God brought you here to start something that we're not doing yet. You need to think about that and talk to me. So let me pray for you. And before I pray, I do want to tell you this too. If you're here this morning and you're new to our church, thank you for coming. If you've been here a little while and you like what's going on here, I would invite you to join this church family. Place your membership here. This is a very exciting time in our church family. and We need you. If God's led you here, we need you. So put your hand in and say, I'm in. You can count on me. I'll be a member here. And if you've never even, you're like, I don't even know if I'm in God's family, much less be a part of this family. Let's talk about that too after service. And you can put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be immersed into him today. We can do that. Would you stand with me and let's pray? And then you think about what you need to do as a result of this today. Father, thank you for being here with us. Thank you for making this church what it is. We, um, we're very, we want to be very humble and acknowledge it's not us. It's obviously you. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit and helping us feel like we've got something to bring to the table to offer. Help us to find that gifting you've given us and express it to serve each other in love. Help us just to be a place where we're humble and we accept each other. Thank you that you've forgiven us. Help us to forgive and accept each other. Thank you for your love, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.